I want to share a story that I've shared in many different places, a true story. And I really believe that it's important because it has to do with a very special Bible verse found in Isaiah 65, verse 24. One morning I woke up, early in the morning. I believe in waking up early, and that's the key to having a successful spiritual life. Amen? Amen. Woke up early in the morning. It was about 4 a.m. I was doing my devotions, and at the end of that four hour, that 1 o'clock or that 1 hour, I uh, thought to myself, it was 5 a.m., I thought to myself, I'm going to text my friends this powerful scripture verse. Now, how many people love text messages early in the morning? Three people. Great. You must work night jobs. And so what happened is I read this beautiful verse found in Isaiah 65, verse 24, and it says this, And it shall come to pass that before you call, I will answer, and while you are still speaking, I will hear. So I decided to text all my friends. I ended up texting one of my other friends, who's not on my text message list, who happened to be an atheist. And the last time I talked to this person, the curse words were coming out of his uh, mouth every other word. And he was just done with God. He used to be a theology student. Actually, he had memorized the book of Romans. And so when I accidentally texted him that verse, I thought to myself, I'm about to be cursed out. I'm about to get it right now. So I looked at my phone. There was no message. I thought, praise the Lord. Closed my eyes, and all of a sudden, the phone went off. And it was my friend, my atheist friend. And these words were on the phone, and it said this, Thank you, brother. Now I thought to myself, that's quite strange. So I said to him, what do you mean by that? (laughs) He texted me right back and he says, you're not going to believe what just happened. In the middle of the night, I had this horrible, horrific dream. And it was just this darkness, this void. And I woke up and I cried, God, are you there? And all of a sudden, the phone went off. And it said these words, before you call, I will answer. And while you're still speaking, I will hear. And you know what he texted me afterwards? There is a God. Amen. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Sabbath school. And Lord, we know that this time is precious. And we do need to regain this time in our churches all over the world. Lord, we pray and ask for the present blessing at this moment. And ask Jesus that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us inspire us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to speak rapid fire. I was told I have about 35 minutes. 35 minutes. I've been told I have three speeds, fast, super fast, and chipmunk. So here we go. The name of the message is called Ellen White Finally Exposed. Ellen White Finally Exposed. When you think of the church today, I was going over the Adventist archives last night. It's very interesting to see how much our church has actually expanded over the course of 100 years plus. We look at all the various things, the various hospitals that have opened up, hundreds of hospitals that have opened up. That's not including clinics. You think of our church membership, which I believe is passing 18 million at this moment. Thousands of churches all over the entire world. All over the entire world. And you think about where this actually started from. You look at the little band of people, church leaders, men and women who begin to pray and ask God to lead them in tremendous ways. Men and women from all sorts of backgrounds. It's very interesting when you see all the various people who were involved in the building up this church. One person I'd like to hone in on is someone by the name of Ellen White. Have you ever heard of Ellen White before? You might have heard of her before. Here's some fascinating points about Ellen White. 
During her ministry, Ellen G. White wrote more than 100,000 pages, a total of more than 25 million words. The text most often referred to in Ellen White's writings is, you need to become a vegan. No, that's not it. It is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. She mentions it 264 times. The text refers to Christians as the what? Light of the world. Can you say amen to that? One of Ellen's favorite hymn was, When Peace Like a River. What's another name for that hymn? It is well. She always asked for it when attending Hillsburg Church, Colorado. Ellen White's favorite dishes were baked corn souffle, tomatoes, and macaroni. And by the way, I'm meeting with the Amen Committee to make sure that is going to be every single meal, Amen 2016. <laughs> Just kidding. Ellen White's last known writing is a letter entitled The Victorious Life. I call it the lost doctrine in our church. She wrote this letter on June 14, 1914, and you may read it in her book, Testimonies to Ministers. This letter is a message overflowing with hope and assurance for Christians. Ellen White was a lover of animals. Arthur White wrote that she knew how to feed and treat animals with affections. She abhorred any practice that brought pain or discomfort to animals, and she had firm words of disapproval for anyone who misused a horse or abused a cow. This is very interesting. The granddaughter of Ellen White stated that Mrs. White was a buoyant person. Never did we feel under a strain or stress in her presence. She had deep blue gray eyes that were kind and alert, and she looked at us with love. Amen? Amen. Now, it's very interesting. When you think about all the tests of a prophet, Jesus actually hones in on one particular test. Throughout the entire Bible, you can look at the various criteria, criteria for being a prophet. That is, the prophecies must come to pass. That is, that they must speak according to the scripture. But it's very interesting. Jesus hones in on one particular criteria. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 17, or Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 17. Beware of what? False prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. And by the way, anytime God is about to do something big, the devil sends a whole bunch of counterfeits. So if he's sending a whole bunch of counterfeits, then we must understand that God must have a legitimate voice who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are what? Ravenous wolves. You will know them by their what? Fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. When Jesus here is trying to hone in on some powerful characteristics of a prophet, he says, it is by their fruits you will know them. And oftentimes, it is after the prophet has passed away, the fruits of their lives will speak. Amen? It is after that person is long gone that the messages that they gave will, be conti will continue to be carried forward and will make their mark upon this world. It's very interesting. 2 Kings verses, chapter 13, 21 gives a very interesting story. It's the story of Elisha. Elisha. And this is after Elisha died. He was buried in a tomb. Look what the Bible says. And it came to pass as they were burying a man that, behold, they spied a band of men and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he what? He revived and stood up on his feet. You know what's very interesting? Elisha's going to get to heaven one day. And I'm sure he's going to come to God and he says, God, how is it that Elijah was never able to see death? He was translated. I even witnessed it. But when it came to the end of my life, I died because of a sickness. And God's going to speak to him and say, Elisha, how many prophets' bones keeps resurrecting people after they're dead? 
Can you imagine that? And the reason I bring this story up is because it is after that person is long gone that the fruits of their life still speak. And you find that in the spirit of prophecy. Look what Ellen White says right here. Abundant light has been given to our people in these last days. Whether or not my life is spared, my writings will what? Constantly speak and their work will go forward as long as time shall last. My writings are kept on file in the office. And even though I should not live, these words that have been given to me by the Lord will still have life and will speak to the people. You know, somebody one time asked me this. They said, will there ever be another prophet? And you know what my response to them was? Why would God send more light if we're not faithful to the light he's already given to us? Right? There's a reason why they call the red books the unread books. Right? God wants us to understand there is so much gold and direction and navigation for his people in these times. And we need to understand it. These books are all over the world, yet many of them still remain unread. God wants us to look at them again. Prophetess, messenger of the Lord, Adventist prophet, spirit of prophecy, SOP, Sister White, Mrs. White, E.G. White, E.G. White, Auntie Ellen, you name it. Many have known her through her writings, her many books, her sermons, her studies, and through the fruits of her labor. But another question is, how did and how does the outside world perceive her writings? What happens when sincere, honest folks come into contact with Ellen White? God sent messengers to this world for many reasons, but what about someone like her? How does the world receive someone like that? Ladies and gentlemen, what you're going to see in this presentation is a whole bunch of non-Adventists who came into contact with Ellen White, who never became Adventists, but how they were impacted by these writings. Well-known archaeologist by the name of William Foxwell Albright, and by the way, he is called the father of biblical archaeology. Was America's and perhaps the world's foremost archaeologist in the 20th century. He earned his PhD from John Hopkins University at the age of 25. And during the next 50 years, he received 25 honorary doctorates from colleges, universities, and seminaries of Protestant, Roman Catholic, and Jewish faiths. He wrote more than 800 publications on archaeology, the Bible, and Eastern subjects. In the 1950s, one of his doctrinal candidates at John Hopkins, the late Alger Johns, introduced Albright to e. Ellen White's writings. His curiosity peaked. The famous archaeologist undertook his own investigation of the life, work, and claims of Ellen White. And in his books, from Stone Age to Christianity, Albright named Mrs. White as one of five individuals whom he considered to be authentic prophets during the past 250 years. Now, this is very interesting. In fact, I had lunch with a Baptist pastor, and he was so excited telling me about um, William Albright. He says, I absolutely love his stuff. I read his books. And I thought to myself, I have another book for you to read. Let's continue. A well-known educator. Florence B. Straitmeyer, she actually spoke to a group of Adventist teachers. This woman helped develop advanced curriculum for colleges today. Recently, the book Education by Ellen G. White has been brought to my attention. Written at the turn of the century, this volume was more than 50 years ahead of its time. And I was surprised to learn that it was written by a woman with but three years of schooling. The breadth and depth of its philosophy amazed me. Its concepts of balanced education, harmonious development, and of thinking and acting on principle are advanced educational concepts. The objective of restoring a man the image of God, the teaching of parental responsibility and emphasis on self-control in the child are ideals that the world desperately needs. 
Mrs. White did not necessarily use current terms. In fact, she did not use the word curriculum in her writing. But the book Education in certain parts treats of important curriculum principles. She was concerned with the whole learner, the harmonious development of mental, physical, and spiritual powers. Today, many are stressing the development of the intellect. But feelings and emotional development are equally important. In our changing society, the ability to act on thought and in terms of principle is central. It is this harmonious development that is so greatly needed, yet so greatly neglected today. I am not surprised that members of the SDA church hold the writings of Mrs. White in great respect and make them central in developing the educational program in their schools. Amen? In fact, take a good look at this. This was actually a professor in Japan of Japan's Tamagawa University and formerly head of Tokyo Museum of Science and director of social education for the Japanese Ministry of Education. He recommended education to parents, teachers, and students. He called it the most profitable reading in our understanding of new education. Education, written with the inspired pen of Ellen G. White, has for 50-some years, has been a well-known book which has rendered the greatest possible servants and joy to students, teachers, and parents in the world over. When I was studying at the University of Illinois, it was my privilege to read the book in its original language. I was profoundly moved by the book at that time, and it has been my desire ever since to recommend it to educators in Japan. It is my sincere to joy to hear that the book has finally been translated into the Japanese language, a non-Aventist speaking right here. In fact, this is interesting. This is actually from William Spicer. He wrote this very interesting story that took place during his time. The Minister of Education of a Southern European country has been studying at Teachers College, Columbia University. He had come to the U.S. for the best edu in, in educational policy and program of the newborn state. Under his return to Southern Europe, he authored a work on religious and moral education. It was written in the Serbian language, published by the State University Press, and acclaimed by that institution as the best book on religious education in that language. Now watch where the hook comes. When Adventist church leaders in Serbia read the book, they recognized it immediately. It was a translation of Ellen White's education with an introduction written by the Serbian Ministry of Education. The brother plagiarized her writings. 80% of the new book came directly from Ellen White's pen. It's very interesting. Now, here are a bunch of stuff that you hear all over the world on anti-Ellen White websites, things that we need to examine. Number one, that you, uh, accusation Ellen White was a plagiarist. Ellen White did not believe in justification by faith. Ellen White is above the Bible. Ellen White's visions were the result of temporal lobe epilepsy, and Ellen White's prophecies failed. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know Adventist apologists have clearly answered every one of these objectives. Uh, amen? In fact, take a good look at this. Here's the story of a well-known lawyer who was actually hired by the General Conference to investigate the claims of plagiarism. Vincent L. Ramick, a prominent and respected copyright attorney in Washington, D.C., took this case. In 1981, in the midst of newly reborn plagiarism charges, the General Conference Legal Office, the Office of General Counsel, used privately donated money to hire Ramick to research the case law and literary evidence to see whether Mrs. White was guilty of plagiarism. Literary literary piracy or copyright infringement. Ramick, a Roman Catholic, spent 300 year, years, 300 hours, you try speaking that fast, 300 hours reviewing cases and reading the literary evidence. This is very interesting. Now watch where this goes. 
In addition to examining the critic's case, he sampled what he called a great cross-section of our books, even reading the great controversy all the way through. And you can't read that book without being converted. On the legal matters, he concluded, if I had to be involved in such a legal case regarding charges of plagiarism, piracy, and copyright infringement against Ellen White, I would much rather appear as defense counsel for Ellen White than for the prosecution. There simply is no case. An important part of his legal opinion was his observation regarding how Mrs. White used the writings of others. Now watch how this ends. Ellen White used the writings of others, he said, but in the way she used them, she made them uniquely her own, ethically as well as legally. And interestingly, she invariably improved that which she selected. She stayed within the legal boundaries of fair use and all the time created something that was substantially greater and even more beautiful than the mere sum of the component parts. And now watch how he ends this. And I think the ultimate tragedy is that critics fail to see this. The bottom line is what really counts is the message of Mrs. White, not merely the mechanical writings or words, clauses, sentences of Mrs. White. Theologians, I am told, distinguish here between verbal inspiration and plenary inspiration. Too many of the critics missed the boat altogether. Now watch how he ends this. And it's too bad, too. I personally have been moved, deeply moved by those writings. I have been changed by them. I think I'm a better man today because of them, and I wish that the critics could discover that. Can you say amen to that? I never forgot one day. I was trying to get this guy to, to make a decision for baptism. I mean, I tried my hardest. Okay, I, you know, I wish Mark Finley was there. I'm sure he would have failed too. I mean, this guy was just so difficult. He had gone through several different evangelistic series, but this brother would not make a decision. One day he comes to my office and he's just like, Pastor Nell, Pastor Nell, I need to talk to you. I go, what? He's like, I want to be baptized. And I said, why do you want to be baptized? And he says, because of that book you gave me. And I'm like, what book? He's like, that book, he pointed to the wall, that book by Edgar White. <laughs> and I was like, who's Edgar White? And he points to the wall, and what he was pointing to was steps to Christ. You know, where I failed, where the spoken word failed, the written word prevailed. Amen? I mean, think about it. And, you know, I corrected that and told him it's Ellen White. But anyways, he was so interesting because here he is. This man is reading that, and he's convicted personally by the Holy Spirit. This is very interesting. Barna Group, 2005, actually listed the most influential authors actually serving pastors. Pastors under the age of 40, meanwhile, were more twice than twice as likely to mention books on prayer, only half as likely to include the purpose-driven life, and just one-sixth as, six as likely to place the purpose-driven church in their top-ranked volumes. In fact, while one-third of all pastors over 40 mentioned at least one book by Rick Warren, just 14% of those under 40 did so. The under 40 pastors championed several authors who were not ranked highly by older church leaders. These authors, or those authors, included business consultant James Collins, seminary professor Tom Rainier, 19th century Seventh-day Adventist icon Ellen White, and pastor John Ortenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, I actually had a good friend. He actually works for a non-denominational megachurch, and he sent me this picture one time. I looked at it, and it was the picture of the executive pastor's library, and it had a picture of Desire of Ages right there tucked into that library. Amen? Amen. How about a well-known enemy? Now, that's very interesting. When your enemy says something about you, we've got to listen, okay? Now, watch what this well-known enemy of Ellen White says, D.M. Canwright, who actually attacked her writings. But at the death and funeral of Ellen G. White, notice what he wrote. One thing I have remarked, and that is this, that the most bitter opponents, opponents of the visions of Sister White admit that she is a Christian. How they can now make this admission is more than I know. They try to fix it up by saying she is deceived. 
They are not able to put their finger upon a single strain in all her life, nor in a moral sentence in all her writings. They have to admit that much of her writings are excellent. And whoever would live out all she would say would be a good Christian, sure of heaven. This is this passing strange if she is a tool of the devil inspired by Satan or if her writings are immoral of the vagaries of her own mind. Even D.M. Canwright was questioning, wait a minute, this can't be if her life was consistent with the Bible. Very interesting. You can see the conviction right there. Adventism and the universe. You're thinking to yourself, what? What does this have to do? In Adventism, we, fall, we find a theological perspective that is very compatible with the world we are living in. From biology to astronomy, everything found or observed is consistent with the Adventist worldview. Amen. The spirit of prophecy provides a high-level theological framework for an older universe that has scores of planets very distant from Earth. Science has begun to observe these countless worlds light years away. Now, what I'm going to share with you is something quite unusual. Okay? Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, now, why would you share something like that? It's very interesting. There was a bunch of researchers several years ago, who were actually examining the UFO phenomena, extraterrestrial life. And it's very interesting, they begin to include Ellen White's writings in there. Now I'm going to share why. One of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Ellen White, argued in 1890 that the logos passing from star to star, world to world, superintending all, found sin on earth and became incarnate to save the human race. This was a mystery which the sinless intelligence of other worlds desired to understand. In the 19th century, new Protestant movements, which one might expect to be narrow, pursued this theological perspective. In other words, still reeling back from Catholicism that taught this whole, you know, galaxy and the whole world revolves around the earth, a lot of Protestant denominations were still stuck to that. But what they begin to discover in the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy, she began to say, wait a minute, there are other worlds out there that the earth isn't the center of the universe, and these other worlds are inhabited. And so this really began to appeal to these people. And by the way, some of these people who were writing these quotes were not believers in UFO or aliens or things like that. They were simple, simply researchers for UCLA looking at the phenomenon. Now, this is very interesting. You're going to see something interesting right here. For Ellen White provided a theology that involved extraterrestrials, including the doctrines that sin occurred only on Earth and that, correspondingly, Christ came only to our planet. As she wrote in one of her books, The Story of Patriarchs and Prophets, I was, it was the marvel of the universe that Christ should humble himself to save fallen man, that he who has passed from star to star, from world to war, superintending all, should take upon himself human nature, was a mystery which the sinless intelligence of other worlds desired to understand. Now watch what he says right here. This theology not only provided a way around Paine's dilemma. Now who is Paine? Does anybody know his first name? Thomas Paine. Now, Thomas Paine was somebody who contributed great to the politics of our nation. However, he was horrible in contributing to spirituality and philosophy of life. Now, one of the attacks he laid on Christianity was this, and he had a fallacy, and this is why he led, it was led to him in this attack. Led this, he went out with this attack, and it was this. He believed, because of Romans chapter 8, when that creation groans because of sin, it was referring to the entire universe. And what his dilemma was, was, wait a minute, why would Christ come and die for planet Earth? That means he would have to die for every other planet that fell into sin. And he had a wrong understanding of Romans chapter 8 when the Bible was clearly referring to what takes place on planet Earth. And what this researcher from UCLA says is, wait a minute, the writings of Ellen G. White show there are other life, there's other life out there, but sin took place on this planet, and that's why Christ came to this planet. 
It's very interesting. Theology not only provided a way around pain's dilemma, it also presented a remarkable cosmic conception that seemed to enhance the life and attractiveness of this new religion. White's denomination has continued to grow and, in fact, has spread throughout the world, current membership being about 4.4 million. That's, you know, a long time ago, so now it's about 18 million. Now watch what happens when this doctrinal student ends up studying the writings of the spirit of prophecy. 1965, a German sociologist, Ermgard Simon, published the doctrinal dissertation in Munster, Westphalia. It dealt with Seventh-day Adventists and Ellen White. She said in part, she was without fear of men, courageous and consistent. She struggled within the movement to solve the many problems. She solved problems which the church did not expect to be solved in many decades. Simon was unable to find adequate scientific explanation for Ellen White's visions and remarkable experiences. She held the opinion that had Ellen White been a Roman Catholic instead of a Seventh-day Adventist, she might have well been canonized in due course. Praise the Lord, she wasn't. In spite of her strong, yes, ecstatic union with God, she rarely lost the ground of reality. On the contrary, she tackled many practical questions in life. Undoubtedly, she, it, was established the, it was the established fact of her mystic vision of God, which, I don't like the word mystic, by the way, vision of God, which worked as a powerful radiance on her fellow believers, enabling her to be their leader without holding an official office in the church. Now watch how she ends it, ends it, she ends it with a bang. She functioned as a church, as a messenger between God and the churches. Through her, the members had part in the divine being. This explains the strong position E.G. White has won among Adventists. In spite of her high position, E.G. White never fell for the temptation other founders of various movements have done, where they claim to be elevated themselves above the weakness of human flesh, but was a servant and did not claim the honor that belongs to God. Now notice how she ends this. The Seventh-day Adventists still live on in the spirit of E.G. White, and only so far as this heritage live do the Adventists have a future. The rocks will cry out. Amen? The rocks will cry out. And it's so interesting to see this. You know, what's also interesting, take a good look at the Bible. Now notice what the Bible says right here about people who are messengers from God. It's very interesting. You'll see Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 12. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 17. A wicked messenger falls into what? Trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings what? Health. A faithful ambassador brings health. In our world today, there is a phenomenon taking place, this health craze that is taking place, and a lot of people are asking questions. You know what's very interesting? By my house or by my church, there is a Walgreens. And you go into Walgreens. No one, the Walgreens isn't getting its business from its Snickers and its, you know, as you've seen on TV products. You go to Walgreens, you go into the back, and you see where they're getting their money. It's that long line in the pharmacy. It's very interesting. CVS just opened up across the street. And there's still no competition. There's enough people for them to both, for both of those businesses to succeed right across the street. Now, why am I bringing this up? is because the world is searching for answers. And a lot of times people are just simply prescribing medicine that causes side effects which require you to go get more pharmacy. Amen? And this is why so many people are interested in natural health, alternative forms of health, and we need to be careful about that, and you need to always consult your doctor before taking advice on health. Anyways. <laughs> Gotta say that for the lawyers. You know, there's been a slew of documentaries that have come out. Now, you're going to see something very interesting about these health documentaries and these health fads that have come out. 
It's very interesting. Now, here's a well-known radio host who actually passed away not too long ago and was considered somebody who was one of the most trusted radio journalists of all time, Paul Harvey. And by the way, he never became a Seventh-day Adventist, although he started attending a Seventh-day Adventist church near the end part of his life. Notice what he says right here. In 1960, Paul Harvey wrote, perhaps we should reread what she has talking about. She has taught, talking about Ellen White. The oil as eaten in the olive is far preferable than animal oil or fat. Today we know about cholesterol. She knew fine, white, fine flour, white bread, is lacking in nutrient elements to be found in bread made from whole wheat. She wrote, do not eat largely of salt. Now we know we should keep the sodium intake low. We have come to accept the wisdom of such advice so completely that it is difficult for us to realize how revolutionary her theories were almost a century ago. Now this is very interesting. This is the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America, and it was published in 2004. Now, what this begins to discuss and survey is American food trends over the last uh, several years. And what they say in this book is something very interesting. Notice what they say right here. No single individual influenced American eating habits during the early 20th century more than who? The guy that made Frosted Flakes, right? Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. It's very interesting. This is an encyclopedia. They're listing John Harvey Kellogg as somebody who influenced American eating habits in the earliest 20th century. In fact, if you go to various other sources, John Harvey Kellogg deserves more than any other person to be called the father of what? Natural health. Now, here is the secret of John Harvey Kellogg. This was an interview that was done, and this is the actual uh, record of that interview. Notice what happens when Dave Paulson actually talks to John Harvey Kellogg about how he was able to stay five years ahead of his medical, in his medical profession more than anybody else. Look what he says. He said, when a new thing is brought out in the medical world, he knew from his knowledge of the spirit of prophecy, the writings of Ellen White, whether it belonged in our system or not, if it did. He instantly adopted it and advertised it while the rest of the doctors were slowly feeling their way. And when they finally adopted it, he had five years to start on them. On the other hand, when the medical profession was swept off their feet by some new fad, and it, if it did not fit the light we had received, he simply did not touch it. When the doctors finally discovered their mistake, they wondered how it came that Dr. Kellogg did not get caught. He listened to her medical advice. He should have listened to her spiritual advice. Amen? Very interesting. You guys know who this individual is? Clive M. McKay. He was American biochemist, nutrition, gerontologist, and professor of animal husbandry at Cornell University. He actually mentored somebody who was well-known. But he wrote these books, the Cornell Bread Book, and he wrote some other books when it comes to health. Very revolutionary in his time, although he was attacked during his time. Notice what he says. Talking about Ellen White, not an Adventist. In the first place, her basic concepts about the relation between diet and health have been verified in an unusual degree by scientific advances of the past decades. In the second place, everyone who attempts to teach nutrition can hardly conceive of a leadership such as that of Mrs. White that was able to induce a substantial number of people to improve their diet. In the third place, one can only speculate about the large number of sufferers during the past century who could have improved health if they had accepted the teachings of Mrs. White. Finally, one can wonder how to make her teachings more widely known. Now notice how he ends this. In spite of the fact that the works of Mrs. White were written long before the advent of modern scientific nutrition, no better overall guide is available today. He mentored this individual right here. You know who this individual is? T. Colin Campbell, right? You might know him. He's also appears in the Forks Over Knives. And he also wrote the book called 
China studies. That's exactly right. And he summed up the China study by saying these words right here. The findings, people who ate the most animal-based foods got the most chronic disease. People who ate the most plant-based food were the healthiest and tended to avoid chronic disease. These results could not be ignored, said Dr. Campbell. In fact, when you look at Dr. Campbell's biography, it's very interesting. He was really pushed into this really pushed into this by Clive McKay. He really didn't want to go into this particular field, but because Clive McKay was influenced by the spirit of prophecy and some other things, he really pushed him to go into this, and now you're seeing the fruits of those writings. It's very interesting. He also had various people like Bill Clinton and Mike Tyson. There's actually an interview on Vegan Radio, that's not Adventist Radio, Vegan Radio 2006, where he actually says that he wishes his son would go to Loma Linda University. Amen? Any people from Loma Linda here? Hardly. Okay. Nathan Pritikin. You ever heard of Nathan Pritikin right here? Anybody heard of the Pritikin diet? Oh, brothers and sisters, you need to do your research. Nathan Pritikin, founder of the Pritikin program. Here's the interview he had actually with some Adventists, and you actually see the Adventists try to witness to him. Nathan Pritikin, although was an Adventist, he highly regarded the writings of Ellen White. Notice what he says right here. Mr. Pritikin, your ideas of nutrition and health are quite similar in many respects of those of Seventh-day Adventists. Are you aware of the Adventist health writings, many of them which are more than a century old? You mean the writings of Ellen G. White? He knew exactly where this interviewer was going. Yes, we call it our health message. It's largely based on her counsel. I have read all her books dealing with health topics. All her books. Now, how many of you read all of her books reading with health topics? I'm not going to raise my hand. Mike Finley is not even raising his hand. <laughs> Let's keep going. I'm, after Sabbath is over, I'm buying you dinner. Okay. <laughs> Let's, focus. Let's focus. Would you care to comment on the concept she presents, which we Adventists unfortunately have not observed as closely as we should? Notice what he says. I feel that if you Adventists had followed the teachings of these books, you would have been a much more healthier group. Whoa. As I read that, I was rebuked. Okay. I think that the Adventist dietary plan is very, very close to our nutritional recommendations. It was marvelous that this woman was able to write all that she did without any real scientific background. Of course, we believe she was inspired. She had to have been inspired. I don't know how she could have gotten this information herself. She certainly did a tremendous job for her time. Now, there was many different people who were involved in health and health revolutions at that time, but what she was able to do through inspiration was pull it all together and have this harmonious flow of health and life and spirituality, and it's quite amazing when you see the puzzle come together and coalesce. As Adventists, we believe that God is the creator of our bodies, that we have not just evolved, that our bodies are priceless and wonderful mechanisms. Only a mastermind could have planned all the intricate workings of it. The body is a wonderful machine that no one understands completely. Now watch the witnessing taking place here. It's a faithful Adventist. I am sure that since you have associated clearly, closely with Adventists on your staff, you know that our dietary plan is based on the original diet given to man as recorded in Genesis. According to Genesis, man can eat animal protein. Now, this is where the interview starts witnessing to him. True, but this was not the original diet. Meat-eating was permitted only after the flood when all the vegetation was destroyed. The original diet in the Garden of Eden was given to man was that the diet you have been advocating, every herb bearing seed and every tree in that which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. These are the grains, fruits, and nuts. You will be interested in a statement made by Mrs. White regarding the addition of meat to the diet. She stated that God permitted the post-diluvian men to eat the flesh of animals in order to shorten their wicked lives. This no doubt refers to the degenerative processes of atherosclerosis caused by the high fat and protein diet. Prior to the flood, the recorded age of man was more than 900 years. Now notice what he says. That is interesting for animal protein, animal products have certainly caused degenerative diseases. 
There's also a case on witnessing right there too as well. Nathan Pritikin of the Pritikin Diet said in 1979, I think if you want to get back to the originator of the proper diet, you have to go back to who? Ellen White, she laid the guidelines that unfortunately are not being adhered to as strictly as they should be. Now, what's the big deal? Because this individual actually mentored somebody. This individual mentored Dr. John McDougall. You ever heard of Dr. John McDougall of the starch diet? Very interesting. He's written several books about the starch diet. Starch Solution, uh, McDougall's Medicine, you name it, and all these various books. He actually talks about Nathan Pritikin. Talks about him being a mentor. Nathan Pritikin was so amazed by the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy, and he says other things, that he actually began to mentor Dr. John McDougall at a time where this kind of health teaching was still being attacked. Very interesting. You ever heard of this documentary? Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. Right? Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dread. Dead. Not dread. Dead. Does anybody know who these two people are right here? Who's the first individual up there? Dr. Furman. Who's the second individual right there? Jack Lane. Dr. Furman, actually, in many of his uh, studies, does, uh, he researches his Adventists. Very interesting. That second person, Dr. Jack Lane, who was known for his crazy feats, he was not an Adventist. However, he did go to an Adventist school, and his mother was an Adventist. My senior pastor, uh, my former senior pastor before I took over the church, he, it was his church in Santa Barbara, Keith Mulligan, and Jack Lane's mother would always come to church. He'd pick her up and take her to church. And sometimes Jack Lane would still be, would be in church. It's very interesting. Very interesting. So you see how health laid a foundation for a lot of different things. Anybody know what this delicious food right here is? That's not pizza. What does it look like to you guys? Maybe Adventist pizza. What does that look like to you? It's the Garden Burger. Did you know the Garden Burger was not developed by Adventists? Right? Sometimes the Garden Burger tastes like car, but I'm not going to lie, okay? It was developed by this man, Dr. Paul Wanner. Now, notice Paul Wanner. He actually writes in his biography, he is the designer, the architect, the engineer of that beautiful work called the Garden Burger. Notice what he actually says right here. Paul Winter, I really haven't had any health problems since I was 17. When I was about 16 or 17, I started reading books on health and nutrition like Paul Bragg's The Miracle of Fasting and Ellen B. White, a writer for the Adventist Church. That's actually he writes it. He got that initial wrong, right? A writer for the Adventist Church. I actually double-checked this to make sure he was talking about Ellen G. White. There are other Ellen B. Whites, but not part of the Adventist Church who actually made significant contributions to the health message. He is talking about Ellen G. White here. And that's why we have our Garden Burger. It's very interesting. In Brazil, she was recently honored, as well as some other people, who actually changed the society, the culture of the world today. Very interesting ceremony. These, this was actually recognized by a lot of non-Adventists. And so interesting because here we are, we're seeing a world outside of Adventism, and many of them are reading these writings, they're getting blessed by them, the benefits, and then we have those inside the church, and many of us are still rejecting those writings, or we got apathy towards those writings. You know, I actually had a friend. He was a pastor, and he told me that one of his good friends was a Pentecostal pastor. And he went to this great Pentecostal convention that took place in Dallas, Texas. He gets there, and there was all these Pentecostals that were there. And all of a sudden, one of the well-known Pentecostal speakers gets up on stage. And everybody was excited that he was speaking. And you know what he said? He said these words. Those Adventists are hiding something from us. And he actually said these words. 
they have a real prophet and they're not sharing her. It's very interesting. You've seen this all over the world. Anybody know what Operation White Coat is? That's not another name for amen, Operation White Coat. That's interesting. Now I'm going to tell you how I began to get involved in this study. Okay, one day I ordered this book called, I'm not going to tell you the title, but I ordered this book that was about recently declassified government documents. Don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. So I looked at this book. I had this book. I didn't open up for several months. It was just lying on my counter. One day I opened it up. And I opened up right there, and the recently declassified government document mentioned Adventists. I immediately closed the book, and I started looking around like, is somebody watching me? I began to do an examination of this, and what I found out was this. Um, during the uh, Cold War, during the Cold War, Seventh-day Adventists were actually being targeted for human experimentation. Now, what is this all about? Take a good look at this. This is a PBS special. The first task for scientists was to find people willing to be infected by pathogens that could make them very sick. They found them in the followers of Seventh-day Adventist faith. Although willing to serve their country when drafted, the Adventists refused to bear arms. As a result, many of them became medics. Now, the U.S. was offering recruits an opportunity to help in a different manner, to volunteer for biological tests as a way of satisfying their military obligations. When contacted in the late 1954, the Adventist hierarchy, and I'm still challenging this point right here, readily agreed to this plan. For Camp Dietrich scientists, church members were a model test population since most of them were in excellent health and they neither drank or smoked or used caffeine. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Because of the tests that were done on these people, many of these diseases do not exist to this day. They do not exist to this day. And this is something the world doesn't even know about. Many of these soldiers, and many of them, by the way, I have talked to families about this, and there's some controversy about this whole thing. And that has to do with many of them did not actually know what they were being tested with. But because of their willingness, Christ-like spirit, and because of, of their health, they were being tested on their model test population. And because of it, many of these diseases, biological testing was done on them. Biological warfare testing was done on these Adventists. And many of the family report that many of them came back changed, different health problems. These men sacrificed their life. And because of it, some of these diseases do not exist today. In fact, take a good look at what one um, doctor said right here. Approximately 2,300 Adventist Army veterans served as white coat volunteers. Now notice what he says right here. The effects of the program have been felt from the remote jungles of Latin America to the desert sands of the Middle East to the reaches of outer space. He's not talking about aliens, ladies and gentlemen. He's talking about testing that would help astronomers in case they got sick. Or astronauts, not astronomers, just astronauts. Sorry about that. Said doctors in the book for God and Country, Operation White coat. And I challenge you, if you have not looked at this subject, you need to look at this history of the Adventist church that's been tucked away. We need to examine this again. The Blue Zone. We've heard of this individual, uh, and we're of many of these things that begin to come out. And by the way, you know what I'm beginning to recognize? Seventh-day Adventism was primarily known as a, a designation for people who belong to a church. Now I'm beginning to realize Seventh-day Adventism is fast becoming a medical term. It's fast becoming a medical term. In other words, it's associated with longevity. You know what's very interesting? Do you know the story of Jacob when he finally goes before Pharaoh and Joseph? And do you remember when he goes before Pharaoh and in conscious superiority he blesses Pharaoh, right? Remember that story? It's very interesting. Do you remember the first words that came out of Pharaoh's mouth? 
how old are you? That's the, you don't usually ask that. Let's start a conversation. So how old are you? You know why he asked that question? Egyptians never lived that long. You look at, you know, many of the um, autopsies on Egyptian mummies. They, they died 30 or 40 years. If I was living during Egypt's time, during that time, I'd be mummified already. <laughs> and he was quite surprised when he saw Jacob as an old man. Longevity was a blessing. And even Pharaoh was beginning to understand there is an advantage to God's system here. Amen? Continue. Huffington Post, well-known article, Adventists who have an average life expectancy of 89, unless you're a pastor. By, by the way, if you're a pastor, you lose seven years off your life. We only gain two years. About a decade longer than the average American. One of the basic tenets of the religion is that it's important to cherish the body that's on loan from God, which means no smoking, alcohol abuse, or of indulging in street sweets. Now, we're winding down to what we need to get to because this is extremely important. Deuteronomy 28, verse 13 says something, and the Lord will make you the what? Head and not the in other words, when God gives an advantage, he gives a blessing. It's meant so that you could be a blessing. Amen? Amen? Blessings are given so that you can bless others. And God has given us such powerful writings, amazing writings, that have shaped and changed our church today. When you take a good look at the prophet Elijah, Elijah was somebody who came on the scene with a prophetic voice, breaking down the altar. Do you know who came after Elijah? Elisha. Do you know the difference between Elijah and Elisha? Elisha was not this great rebuker of sin, although he rebukes it. He was somebody who was more personable, and he healed. Did you know there are recorded 14 miracles by Elijah the prophet and exactly 28 miracles by Elisha the prophet? Now, is that significant? He was given twice what? Double portion of the Holy Spirit. Do you know when John the Baptist came on the scene? A powerful preacher of sin, rebuking sin. And then all of a sudden, Jesus came on the stage. Do you know the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus? Jesus had more of a personal connection with people, and he did more healings. John the Baptist had no healings. And you know what you begin to find in the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy in the early Adventist church? You begin to find this mighty message of prophecy, and that message still continues. Amen? But what we're now seeing is that the church is evolving to this message of health and personal evangelism. Just like these prophets transition, these prophetic movements transition, God is transitioning the Seventh-day Adventist church. I love what Ellen White says right here, and this has become one of my most favorite quotations. Medical missionary work is the pioneer work of the what? Gospel. In the ministry of the word and in the medical missionary work, the gospel is to be preached and practiced. He designs that medical missionary work shall prepare the way for the presentation of the saving truth for this time. And by the way, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is coming against a lot of barriers when it has to do with sexuality, with poverty, with, all, with rising health care costs. And what you're finding with this beautiful message is that this message is passing all these barriers through. It's going right through all these barriers. We've been given such a beautiful message, a beautiful message that's so powerful. But notice what she says right here, because it's extremely important. It is the pioneer work of the gospel. You know, we actually just started a church plant. I'm the pastor of Series 7 Amos Church. We started a church plant in Patterson, California, population of 20,000. And we decided we're not going to do traditional church plant. Nope. We're not going to go door to door and get Bible studies. We're going to do something completely different. We're going door to door to do health coaching. And what we're beginning to find has been the most unusual things. Now what we've discovered, we actually had Weimar College come by, Weimar Health Program come by, and they did this amazing health expo. And let me tell you something. It's easier to invite people to get free massages than it is to get a Bible study right away. <laughs> Amen? 
You can be a six foot tall hairy Indian, you'll have no problem telling people, you want a free massage over there? And people want a free massage. And they begin to go through these various uh, booths that were there, and at the end they sign up for health coaching. And it's amazing, we, see, we are now seeing some of the, um, we had a councilwoman of that town come through. She actually gave our cross trainer, our Bible workers, 10 minutes at the next city hall. We actually had the mayor meeting with us who wants to find out, he's willing to find out how we can bring this message all over Patterson. And you know what else is very interesting? One of the cross trainers, this happened a couple days ago, she was actually visiting somebody to do health coaching. And as she was there, they went, she knocked on the door, nobody answered, she came back. She came back an hour later, and you know who was there? The people were there, but there was another person there, the photographer and one of the journalists for the city's newspaper, and he began to ask, what are you doing here? She began to talk to him, and he says, I'll write you a free ad. He's now going to do a great write-up, a front-page write-up on what we're doing over there, and it's been so amazing. We're seeing barriers break, breaking down. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the truth when she said it is the pioneer work of the gospel, the pioneer work of the gospel. And it's something that we as Seventh-day Adventists need to say, wait a second, what are we doing wrong? We've been continuing this way for such a long time. We need to change what we're doing. And if we begin to just throw, scratch everything off the table and put this on the table, we're going to be blown away by with what, with, I can't even word, put this together, with what God does. Amen? I'm going to end with this quote. This is it. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines, but medical missionary work. It is because of the directions I have received from the Lord that I have courage to stand among you and speak as I do, notwithstanding the way in which you may look at the medical missionary work. I wish to say that the medical missionary work is God's work. The Lord wants every one of his ministers to come into line. Take hold of the medical missionary work and it will give you access to the people. Their hearts will be touched as you minister to their necessities. And ladies and gentlemen, my challenge to you is that you will take these writings. You will inculcate them into your life. Let them be as a guide for your conferences, for your individual lives, for your ministries, and you will see amazing things that God will do. He's coming back soon. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Forgive us, Lord, for neglecting the work for so long. We want to pray that we would start bringing it into our experience, into our church, wherever we're at, Lord, that we would start putting this to practice. And Lord, you promised you would bless. May each person be inspired to be a medical missionary for you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.